When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Janice Dean Podcast. I know you're going to love today's guest, and you may have seen him recently on The Greg Gutfeld Show, Being Hilarious, and some of our other programs here on Fox News Channel. Personally, I follow him on social media for his incredible food posts, especially the ones that feature BLTs, which is my favorite meal, by the way, and you're going to hear all about it. I've known Andrew Gruel for several years now. He was featured in my book this year called I Am the Storm, inspiring stories of people who fight against overwhelming odds. We met each other through advocacy during COVID. As I was shining a light on the former Governor Andrew Cuomo's deadly leadership here in New York, Chef Gruel was doing the same in California with Gavin Newsom. And since then, Chef Gruel is not afraid to keep calling out the things many of us are thinking or feeling on social media and on TV, which makes him a force to be reckoned with, not only when it comes to speaking up, but also showcasing his mouthwatering creations that make me wish he lived a little closer. Also, I love the story he tells me about how he met his wife. And you know what I just thought of? If Chef Gruel and I ever have a TV show together... It should be called Cooking Up a Storm. Wouldn't that be amazing? Chef Gruel on the Janice Dean podcast. Chef Gruel, you made the Dean's list. Yeah, all right. (laughs) Did you expect that? No, of course. Well, only for one semester. (laughs) Okay. You know, I don't know if we ever talked about this, but how did your schooling go? I mean, we were just talking about dropping off our kids on the first day of school. You've been out here in New York, so you missed the first day of kindergarten. But don't feel bad because I I miss it, too, doing these early mornings. Right. And our spouse has to handle it. It's I mean, it kind of tugs at your heart. Right. Oh, it definitely does. It definitely does. But uh, as I was saying to you, it's probably better that I wasn't there because I'm a sucker. So I would have ended up just pulling him out of school and driving around all day, taking him to like Disneyland or something. (laughs) So you're the good cop. I'm the good. Oh, I am way too much the good guy. (laughs) Well, how do you like, how do you, you've been here to New York a couple of times. I know you've appeared on Gutfeld. How did that go? Oh, it was great. It was great. Yeah, it was fun. And so do you like the TV part of this? Like you did some cooking on television, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I had a, uh, I actually hosted a show, two shows. Uh, so I was with Food Network for a while and then I went over to FYI Network when they got bought out and then I went back to Food Network and uh, then the pandemic hit mm-hmm. and then, then I got into, you know, 90 second hits on Fox News. That's right. Yeah. You and I kind of both met each other during the pandemic as we were both advocates for each other's state, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. The parallels between New York and California. Mm -hmm. So take me back to that. I mean, honestly, sometimes I don't want to revisit it. I realize that people don't want to talk about COVID anymore. Like we are sick and tired of it. Mm-hmm. However, I feel like we have to be reminded of what happened because if we don't, 
and we don't get to the bottom of some of these terrible decisions that were made by our leaders, then it's going to happen again. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, potentially it is starting to happen again from what we're already seeing. I don't want to revisit it either because it just starts to feel so kind of hackneyed and jaded. But the reality, as you state, is is that there's already a rewriting of history happening before our own eyes. Tell me. You know, you would start you would expect this like maybe two generations down the road yes. where they kind of start to manipulate what happened. Right. But the fact that we're sitting here today and, you know, you've got people talking about what a phenomenal job the government did in response to COVID. And I'm just, I'm hitting myself and I'm saying this has to be sarcasm, you know, and I hate to use Twitter as an example, but I posted the other day that uh, somebody said, you know, it was, it was a headline about kids learning being put behind and how horrible it was for children, et cetera. And they said, COVID did this. And I said, well, not necessarily, right? Politicians did this. It was the decision-making framework that led to this. It wasn't necessarily COVID. And I just got completely taken down on Twitter, um, you know, by, by not just trolls, but like radio hosts and people who have significant stature, you know, talking about these issues. Oh my and gosh. I'm thinking to myself, it's are we really again. that blind to it? Um, obviously the comment section is a, you know, a dumpster fire, but it was just really interesting to me, to me to see the way in which people were interpreting what happened only a year or two ago. Yeah. That is really, it's very frustrating because we were some of the only voices out there raising questions for our families and our friends and colleagues and businesses that were, you know, struggling. And we're going back there again and they're trying to gaslight us again. Like I see Andrew Cuomo out there and people say, oh, we need, you know, there are articles being written about why we need a leader like him again. And it's just like we are. I'm banging my head against the wall. Yeah. Perfect example. I saw the same. Right. And I even saw a few threads where people were supporting him and his leadership during, you know, the the horrific times of covid. The the issue for me is that. And I see this in the responses. I know we're not supposed to kind of read the insults, but to me, I do like to read the Mm -hmm. insults on places like Twitter, Instagram, whatever the platform is, because I want to understand what the common denominator is in those people who are disagreeing with me. And one of the common denominators is, well, what do you know? You're just a chef. Get back in the kitchen. Mm. What do you know about this? You're not an epidemiologist. You're not a virologist, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people who I said, okay, well, what's your job? You know, what, what did you do during a pandemic? Yes. Well, I'm an epidemiologist and this is my career, et cetera. And I'm thinking to myself and, and did respond as such. Well, it doesn't take an epidemiologist to call out the fact that the people setting the rules were breaking their own rules. So if the rules were that serious, they wouldn't be breaking those rules. Mm-hmm. It's, it is that clean and clear. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're starting to see it again already. We're starting to see that there's talk about potential rules, potential masks, but then the people talking about the masks aren't wearing the masks. Yes. You know, um, just yesterday, you know, ye- yesterday alone or g- generally, right? I mean, Joe Biden has COVID. Yeah. And Joe Biden was exposed to it. And he is the one who touts the, you know, the rules and authority of the CDC. But, you know, he's not wearing a mask while he's putting a, a, me- a gold medal, on, you know, a medal on a, an el- elderly gentleman who is definitely, you know, susceptible to the worst form of COVID if he were to get it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and the CDC also hired Howard Zucker, who at the time was Andrew Cuomo's health commissioner, and put his name on the March 25th order that flooded nursing homes with thousands of COVID-positive patients. So that guy actually has a high position at the CDC right now. That's scary. It is scary. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like, again, we're sort of alone in our raising awareness, and, and that's tough. Yeah. You know, I, I liken this to kind of the, um, you know, the 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 person in high school, the high school hero, you know, senior year is doing the crazy, funky chicken dance at prom and everybody's laughing. But then like 30 years down the road, he's still doing the same chicken dance because it's a one move, yes. you know, one trick pony. Yep. And we are and, and everybody's kind of cringe and they're like, oh, God, that was great. Like when you were a senior in high school mm-hmm. and the government is that one trick pony, they have one playbook and they're going to continue to go by that playbook as opposed to adjusting to the new data and what we already know and what we've seen and the consequences, the immediate consequences of obviously the framework that they put in place during COVID. Um, And, 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 you know, that, you know, that kind of construct I think is applicable to so many different levels of government and so many different areas of our lives. Yeah. So here we are three years later. um, And how are you affected? You're businesses. You're doing well right now. Um, but like you were a small business owner and you were watching Gavin Newsom go into a highfalutin restaurant when we were all supposed to be quarantined and with no mask on. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, that story and everyone knows that story. And it's amazing <laughs> to me that it's just kind of like, oh, well, he made a mistake. And I am totally OK with people making mistakes and yes. then owning those mistakes. Yep. He went up and lied to everybody about what went on that mm-hmm. day. And he said we were outside. We we were under a tent. Everybody was socially distancing. We were wearing masks in between bites. And then it was Bill Malusian who broke the story a couple days later with the photos that all of that was a lie. And then he kind of doubled down on the lie as if we hadn't seen the photos and then ignored it. Right. And the press kind of covered it up for him in California. So, yes, you make a mistake. You own the mistake. But then when you lie about it and then you double down on the lie, I think that's indicative of the character in general. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, you know, there's a million stories just like that um, across the country. So I get anxious going into this. And as a restaurateur in California, it was incredibly difficult. And what we saw was a lot of executive authority um, taking over and it was crushing small businesses, independent businesses. A lot of money was made by those larger multi-unit corporations in yep. California. I always mm-hmm. make this cliche, that transfer of wealth from, you know, kind of Main Street to Silicon Valley or Wall Street for that matter. But we, um, you know, now we wonder what we, what we're up against. And we, we ended up selling our business after COVID, you know, or towards the tail end of COVID, we had a large multi-unit restaurant group and we sold it. And I wouldn't say it was, it was directly a result of COVID. However, when you start to put the pieces together, it, it certainly was, we had no grand intention of getting out of that. We thought it would be our legacy for years. Um, and, uh, we've, we've kind of restarted, Uh, and my wife and I look back on it and there was a sigh of relief because it was really difficult during COVID, you know, uh, and, and especially how divided the country was. And then the, the flack that we got for speaking out about what we saw as hypocrisy and insanity. So that took an emotional toll on us, not necessarily on the family in the sense that we were ever fighting, but just the nerves and the anxiety and then running the business. Mm -hmm. So we kind of had this deep breath, COVID's leaving. Now we're starting over again with a new restaurant group, but now it almost seems like it's, it's kind of coming back uh, to haunt us. I just, it's, I don't even know what to say, Andrew, because 
what have we learned? And being in the weather business, forecasting storms, we always do an after action review mm-hmm. when there is a bad storm that, you know, devastates a region or kills people, God forbid. Um, it's up to us to look back at what we did. Did we make mistakes? Uh, were we okay with our forecasting? How can we do better? And we have not done that with COVID. We're ignoring it. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I, that's what I mean about the rewriting in real time right in front of us is you're, you're, you're 100% correct because even I... I look back on certain things and assertions that I made as a, just a you know a kitchen guy uh, and not an epidemiologist, and I say, okay, well, look, maybe that one was an all right policy, and I think that's something that we should look at moving forward. And we've learned, and I think a lot of people also think they they refer to me, oh, you kept your restaurants open. Well, not necessarily. We actually remained closed indoors because we didn't think it was the right move to open. It was outdoors that we stayed open, right? Because we thought to ourselves, this is absurd. I right. mean, the only reason you were allowed to to uh, you know, collect in a group outdoors as if you were protesting. So we thought that if there's this kind of subjective and selective method by which they're allowing you to be outdoors, dining outdoors, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So, you know, we look at things, of course, it makes common sense. If you're sick, don't get really close to somebody and don't spread it. This was knowledge that we knew prior to COVID. So we can't, you know, ignore that and just think that we can just be free willy, willy nilly, if we're sick or we have symptoms or what have you, mm-hmm. and we've got to be a little bit more sensitive to that. So that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a germaphobe at being a restaurateur. So I think people being more aware of sanitation is also a good thing, and we should highlight that and celebrate the good. So it's not all or nothing, um, and and we'll continue learning. But, yeah, the rewriting of, of history in real time is, is laughable. Mm-hmm. And so you go on Twitter. I have to say I've pulled back a little bit on Twitter because it just – it it kind of ruins my day sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you I know understand what I mean? That. I understand. You know, it's funny. When I'm in a horrible mood, my wife will literally say to me, are you fighting on Twitter again? <laughs> yes. Like, it's, she knows. So does my husband. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, during the whole Andrew Cuomo thing, he knew that that was my megaphone, right? Because uh, that I needed to have a platform and that was it. And gratefully, Fox gave me, you know, some some airtime as well, but I would get off and he could tell, he could just tell by my face, my demeanor, you've been on Twitter again, right? (laughs) And, but then it's almost like, well, then who do we talk to? You know, we can talk to our family and our friends, obviously, but, but there's misinformation and people are gaslighting again. And who is going to stand up, right? Well, of course. And the thing is, is that when you start to read these headlines that you know are not matching the story, yes. right? And and quite literally, in many cases, I always say now, and I teach this to my kids, read the last line of a story before you let the headline take over Wow. Um, and read up from the bottom because mm. it's, it typically never matches the headline. So when we start to read these headlines and then we think to ourselves, am I crazy? Yeah. Uh, and you know, maybe many people might say yes, but uh, you know, and then, so then you can go to Twitter and actually get kind of real time anecdotal analysis and data and, mm-hmm. and, and other people are like, no, look, this is, and, and it is almost this, um, you know, I'm looking at the positive sides of Twitter, you know, like Bitcoin, right? You've got this, uh, you know, just all these random people all, you know, effectively adding credibility to these transactions and there's really no kind of central voice to it. Well, in a way, Twitter's the same thing because people are just throwing all of this information out there yes. and it's up to you to kind of filter through it, find the common denominators mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, 
you know, believe what you want to believe. So that's, I think, why so many people flock to Twitter to look for some people just look for an an echo chamber. But for me, it's also about just getting data, anecdotal data, whatever hmm. data is out there, stories that people are posting and, and then filtering through it yourself. Yeah. How's California now? You haven't moved. Have you thought about it? Yes, we have. And we are, you know, we, we certainly have a parallel plan in place where if we need to leave California, we're ready to do so. Hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah, I haven't given up on California. That's the thing. Um, you know, Steve Hilton, uh, uh, who's got a show on Fox Next Revolution, he lives in California and he's doing a phenomenal job trying to rally people behind California. It's not that far gone. You know, he he kind of speculates that it's really only a 5% gap that California can quickly turn around, but mm. people actually have to stand up, speak out uh, for reason. You know, nothing crazy, just right. like reason, rationale, compromise. I know some people say compromise isn't leadership. I, I disagree. Uh, so California has hope. However, California, some of the symptoms of COVID are the unintended consequences, the crime, the way in which we've, you know, defunded a lot of the necessary, I don't necessarily want to say police, but government agencies that would have allowed for people to um, follow the laws. Mm -hmm. And then some of the new bills that are being passed through the California State Senate, um, SB 533 for one, look that up uh, at some point. Uh, that's a real tough one. But it it, it worries me because we are somewhat hopeless as retail and restaurant owners um, when it comes to crime. And then ultimately just allowing them to have the executive authority to quickly lock us down again yes. um, and instill this insanity. Mm -hmm. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And so what are you doing now presently? I still see your amazing pictures on. So that, I mean, listen, the only reason I go on social media is to see your fabulous creations. <laughs> did you have pizza for breakfast this morning? Uh, I, I did actually have pizza for breakfast. <laughs> However, it wasn't the pizza, the picture I posted. Okay. Uh, um, but uh, it, it's the thought that counts. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. And does New York actually have good pizza? Yeah, I think New York has the best pizza, although I will say that I call it New Jersey pizza because really it started in Trenton in the early 1900s. Real? No. So, yeah, I mean, the real, you know, raised pizza, all that, that started in Trenton and then they moved into New York. So I say, you know, the birth of New York pizza came from New Jersey. That's why we own a pizza spot in California and I say New Jersey style pizza. Yes. Okay. What's the difference? Is it the water? Uh, well, it's, you know, I think it's, I think it's the water. I think it's the ovens that have been here for so long and you work them in. Um, you got to have a good oven, right? Okay. You got to have, it's like a seasoned pan. Yes. Um, and there's also just the, the plethora of pizza spots you've got with such a density of pizza restaurants, you've got a higher likelihood of people doing it the right way and more people doing it the right way just by virtue of the, the numbers. Mm -hmm. How did you get to be where you are, where you are today? Like what? I remember I interviewed you for my book, I Am the Storm, because your chapter was 
important to me because we met each other through our advocacy on social media and our stories were similar uh, on the issues that we were talking about. Um, But I found it interesting that you chose this profession. Tell me about that. It's my name. Gruel. (laughs) Gruel. I I had to give it a positive spin. (laughs) Your gruel is the best gruel. Yeah. You know, that's the one insult. Everybody like a chef named Gruel. Who's going to take him seriously? You know, it didn't even occur to me until like recently about that, really. Um, but but in all honesty, actually, you know, I grew up in Jersey, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm from this area and I went to a small liberal arts college up in Maine uh, and was studying philosophy and piano performance up there. Yes. Uh, totally out in left field, I know. <laughs> but while I was in high school, I was working in restaurants. That was my job. Uh, and then when I went to college, the first thing I did was obviously got a job while I was going to school and it was in restaurants. And then ultimately I got involved, uh, you know, with a restaurant on the coast, lobstering, and it was a lobster restaurant, and I got the bite, and I ended up spending more time in restaurants and working than I was in school, but but that's mainly because I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do. I mean, kind of philosophy and piano performance was more of a hobby. I was, yes. I knew I wasn't going to make a career of it, so uh, I, I left college and then ultimately traveled around the country and the world learning how to cook, did my apprenticeship, and then went back to culinary school and then went back to business school to get my food service uh, management Mark, food marketing degree, and did all of that. Uh, so, so it was, it was really just going to school, realizing that I wanted to be in restaurants. I didn't know in what capacity, but knew I had to train. Loved food, loved cooking. There was an art to it, and uh, you know, kind of just let it take me where wherever I ended up. Mm-hmm. I feel like every young kid should work in a restaurant. Yeah, you can learn a lot about life there. A hundred percent. Right. Yeah. And tell I, me about that. And, and that's a great point. And, you know, it's funny when it, everyone asked me and I just had this conversation with someone yesterday. What's the one piece of advice you would give somebody who wants to either open a restaurant or understand restaurant management? I said 90 percent of it is psychology. Mm. Right. You've got to learn to work with people internally and externally. When I worked for the Ritz Carlton, one of their basic principles was we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. And the thesis behind that is, is that we treat our each other right internally the same way we treat our guests. And I think that's one of the most important principles of the restaurant industry is, is the, res- the level of respect, especially within the team. Because restaurants, I call it a pirate ship. It's full of the most interesting people in the world. You've got executives. You've got uh, working, struggling actors. You've got high school kids who are just trying to make a couple extra bucks. You've got lifelong restaurant folks, you know, who have been working in restaurants for 40, 50 years. It's an entry level job that also can attract people who want to be in executive management and people who just want to bust a few tables, but they're all working hand in glove together, Mm. right? If I were to go get an intern at Goldman Sachs or wherever, I'm not going to talk to the VPs or the executives. They're never going to talk to me as the little peon. But if I'm in a restaurant, I'm a busboy, I'm 16 years old and I've got a celebrity chef. You know, when Bobby Flay goes into his restaurants, he's interacting with the busboys, the dishwashers, yeah. et cetera, because you're all working together in that moment. Mm-hmm. And that's the coolest thing in the world to me um, is the human element, the psychology behind it. And that's the truth to being successful in a restaurant is understanding that. Uh, ultimately, the reason I wanted to open my own place was because I saw how people were mistreated in the restaurant industry. And I never wanted, I wanted to kind of rewrite that, that um, you know, that cliche about uh, re- chefs being jerks and everybody throwing hot pans at each other <laughs> and create an inclusive environment that's positive. Similar to what I was explaining about the Ritz Carlton and some of their principles, so that that's the exciting piece for me. Mm-hmm. And you you still continue to thrive. And what do you? Is there a learning curve, or are you still 
learning as you go. Yeah, well, there's always a learning curve because food and food is constantly developing. People's flavors, their preferences change, you know, monthly, right? We see how quickly food trends now take over, especially the advent of social media. So for me, the restaurants as a marketing vehicle, right? Because ultimately food is marketing. Um, it, it, it's You've got to constantly stay on your toes in order to remain relevant. Uh, you've got to create grit a great guest experience, but you got to make sure that your team members are happy. And the one I think positive that came out of the pandemic, and so much as it can be um, overblown a little bit, is the way in which people did start to give respect to those essential workers. Mm. Um, we saw a little bit of a, uh, of a worker revolution, I think, especially in service, um, where they were treating workers better, which actually was why I think we were able to generate so much positive, uh, such a positive outcome with our fund when we were raising money for restaurant workers, not restaurant business owners. And I think that's a clear distinction was that it was specifically for the workers. um, And and that's an important piece. Now, what's hilarious is people hate me and they call me like a greedy capitalist for running restaurants. And I just wanted to keep my restaurant open and I get trashed all the time. Like you're just, you know, you took a PPP loan and this and that. Um, when, you know, we are like probably one of the most, if you want to look across a political spectrum, left leaning business owners in so much as how much we pay our workers and how much power we give our team Mm -hmm. members, um, and, you know, equity in, in essence. So I find that to be pretty funny, but, uh, you know, that's a lot of the basis of what we do. Mm -hmm. And so what do you see on the horizon for yourself and your family? Um, so we've got, we, we consolidated after we sold our restaurant group, we've got a pizza spot in Southern California. We've got this new restaurant venture called Calico Fish House, which is a much larger venture. It's like 300 plus seats, full bar, liquor license. I mean, we're like really, um, uh, you know, this one's a big one. We'd like to scale that. However, I will not ever open another restaurant in California. Really? Um, so, you know, the goal is to scale outside of California and also, you know, kind of get involved with food through different avenues, not necessarily specifically restaurants, but to remain within this space, but just try and kind of grow this messaging and, and, and stay national, if mm-hmm. you will. What's your favorite meal? Ah, uh, I mean, for me personally, I keep it simple. It's definitely, it's like roasted chicken. It's a, it's that roasted comfort chicken. food. Yeah. Roast a good roasted chicken because it's so simple yet. It's also difficult to perfect. Oh, um, why? Well, you got, you got so many elements, right? You got the crispy skin. You got to make sure that the breasts aren't dried out while the legs have to cook all the way through. Cause okay. they have two totally different temperature ends. And, uh, it's also such a familiar flavor that you've got to amp it up in unique ways in order to make it, uh, you know, desirable, if you will. But it's also a great platform to play with and improvise, almost like a jazz standard, right? You can improvise over any basic jazz standard, um, and that's what makes the artist unique and special. Chicken is a jazz standard. Wow. Well, what's your favorite way to serve chicken? Um, Yeah, I'm just a a simple keep it whole and roast it um, kind of guy. Our family eats like a roasted chicken, sometimes two a night. That is always, like every night, if we don't know what to eat, we always have a roasted chicken. And the kids like different parts of the chicken. You pull the chicken apart. We have tacos. We've got, you know, bureau tacos, melts, chicken grilled cheese, or just every, the whole family like picking off of the chicken. Wow. I love that answer. My favorite, there's two. Like if I could pick my last food on earth before I die, it will either be 
a BLT, but it has to be perfect, right? I mean, the tomatoes have to be perfect because yep. mushy tomatoes just ruins the whole experience. Yep. Uh, it's it can't be too much mayo, but there has you have to taste the mayo, uh, and then the bacon obviously has to be done to perfection. Yep. Uh, and so, I mean, I'm just my mouth is watering just thinking about it. Uh, and the other one is a cheeseburger, like a mm-hmm. great cheeseburger is just you. Uh, you can't even explain it. Yeah, yeah. It's like heaven. No, I agree. I agree. You know, and that's a great point about the BLT. That's another example where a simple dish with just a couple ingredients yes. can either be great or awful. Yes. And I love when you post pictures of bacon. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You always are the first one to comment on my BLTs, and I remember I that. So, and, But you add, what do you add to your mayonnaise? You add um, something. Yeah, we do. So most of our, we never do mayonnaise like just straight. We usually uh, introduce, it's more of an aioli, but we do a lot of vinegar in the mayonnaise because oh, yes. I think mayonnaise in and of itself is so rich. So mm-hmm. we want to have that acid to kind of cut through the oh, richness yeah. and make the flavors pop, Yeah, especially on the sandwich as well. So yes. our mayonnaise is usually very... Um, it's full of like bright acidic flavors. See, because I love a good pickle too. A ah, good pickle go. on a sandwich. Yep. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, okay, so what about running for office? Would you ever <laughs> think about... First of all, we've also talked about you sitting down with Governor Newsom. You would gladly sit at the table mm-hmm. and talk to him about what went wrong and how he can improve, correct? 100%. And I think I said this when we chatted uh, last time was that that's a great opportunity for him um, because I think that uh, there's many people who are frustrated with the way in which he dealt with the pandemic. And I'd be more than welcome. Food is the great unifier. So yes. sit down, talk about food and allow other issues to be folded into that like a meringue. And uh <laughs> And I think that's a way to bring people together. Yeah. What about that restaurant he was at? Is that any good? French Laundry? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Thomas Keller is the greatest chef in the world, in my really? opinion. Really? Yeah. Oh, see, yeah. I don't know anything about that. Why? Why is he the best chef? Well, I mean, he, just his food at the French Laundry, his career trajectory, the way in which he learned um, early on from a young age going over to France. He didn't blow up until he was probably in his 40s, um, and he just has this concentration and study of food that I think is so intellectual, and it goes beyond the physical product that it comes through in his menus. He was the first to really introduce this level of a tasting menu that would take you know, hours to eat, which now some people say is just boring, but he really kind of threw that on the scene. The amount of chefs that have trained with him and gone on to become world-class chefs, um, it's, you can't even count how many chefs he's got per se here in New York city as well, which is Michelin star restaurant, the French laundry out in California. Yeah. I mean, I think it is, it is one of the best restaurants in the world, if not the best restaurant in the world. Which I think adds to the spiciness for me was because Thomas Keller is somebody who I look up to so much. And I'm not mad at him. Okay. People got mad at Keller and they were like, "How you know, you kind of allowed this. No, because you, you on the one end of the spectrum, you can't say you want restaurants to be open and then get mad at the chef who is staying open. Right. Um, because he clearly wasn't opening just for Newsom. 
Yeah. Right. He was kind of skirting the rules. Newsom was just a part of it. Huh. Um, so it wasn't Keller's fault uh, that, you know, all that blew up. So that's my that's my piece on that. So I'm not getting paid to say that. Oh, <laughs> I know you aren't. You're good with the choice of restaurant that he went to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so you would meet with him. OK, so you have ideas about, you know, the way the world should work and you're opinionated and you have statistics to back that up. And you're also, you know, you're you're a guy that we want in a different lane sometimes, right? Like somebody who ex- has experienced something and has, because of that experience, kind of opened up his eyes uh, to way the way you want your kids to grow up. So mm-hmm. would you entertain leadership in any way? Yeah, I definitely would entertain it. I think that the, you know, the timing has to be right. I've got four kids um, and, a, and a very supportive wife who isn't just, you know, a supportive wife. I mean, she's my business partner. She's a trained chef. She runs the businesses with me, did the whole time. I think, um, you know, sometimes she, she kind of steps back into the shadows a little bit, but really she is the driving force and is mm-hmm. also like, a very smart businesswoman um, and understands all these issues as well and can speak eloquently and intelligently about it. So, you know, it would be something that I talked about with her, but yeah, we've talked about it and there needs to be a change. You know, I think this is great that we're seeing kind of regular everyday people starting to run for office Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and many of which have won and have made a difference or at least changed the nature of the conversation. That's a good thing. Yeah, I think so too. How'd you meet your wife? Uh, it's a great question. Instagram. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, you have to tell me who I mean, slipped into whose DMs. That's a great, that is a good question. So, so, well, it was funny when I opened Slapfish, which was my first restaurant group, uh, gosh, this was in like 2010. I don't even remember the exact date, but I, I did an interview. There's a local culinary school, the art Institute near where I was operating and my, my wife was in culinary school and her classmate interviewed me for a project. Okay. And then about five or six months later, the classmate had comment on some of my Instagram stuff and then tagged my now wife and was like, you got to check out this guy's restaurant. Uh-huh. And we actually started, we still have the screen capture. We started flirting right in the comment section with oh, each really? other. And so let's see, that was, that was like May 16th. I, I said, give me your email. So I slid into her email. It was very formal. Okay. Right? Okay. Yes. May 26th was okay. the first email. Our first date was, we argue about this, but it was June 6th. She says it was June 2nd. And, uh, and then we were uh, married July 27th. Holy moly. Yeah. Wow. Yep, yep. So you knew on the first date? Oh, uh, I knew on the second date. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> I didn't think the first date went well. It, why? Well, it was like a quick meet. It was like a meetup in the afternoon. We had like a beer for lunch. She was going to an Angels game and then I actually was going to work. And then, and I was so mesmerized by her and it was so great that my anxiety took over. And mind you, she's younger than I am. She's uh, eight years younger than I am. Okay. Um, we were both a little bit older at times, so I wasn't totally robbing the cradle. But, uh, you know, so, so, so I should have come at it with a little more confidence. And when we were leaving, I shook her hand. <laughs> And I knew right when I did, I was like, oh, this is over. And then I didn't hear from her for days. And then I never wrote her. Oh. 
uh, and then, and so I thought, I was like, yeah, nothing's going to come of this. I, I shook her hand. I got nervous. Like she went in for the hug and I shook her hand. It was the most oh, awkward moment probably in the his, history of dates. Uh, and, and so who, okay, who con- contacted who then? She actually wrote to me. Okay. Uh, once again, back on Instagram again, she like commented and wrote something. And then I was like, yeah, you know, I was worried about you. I hadn't heard anything. I was worried sick. And then we quickly made another date. Okay. And then that one went a lot. Now, what did she say? Did she tell you the handshake was just to this day? It's like a joke. So the restaurant that we met at recently, it just closed like a couple weeks ago. And so we were driving by it and, and the kids are like, oh my God, lazy dog is closed. That was the name of the restaurant. And then. Laura and I are like, that's where we first met. And, you know, started telling the kids. She's like, he shook my hand. And, like, my daughter's like, what is wrong with you? And and the kids are all laughing at me. Yeah. Oh, so it's a joke now. I love that, though. My husband and I, we met uh, here in New York for the first time, our first date at the Prime Burger, which is no okay. longer here. I remember um, that. And it was really cool because you we had breakfast there. Because he was working an overnight fireman, and I was working an early morning shift, and um, I wanted to see uh, the the tree. This was around Christmas time. I wanted to see the Rockefeller Christmas tree, um, and so we went. We were looking for a restaurant in the area. We were going to actually try to eat at the Rockefeller restaurant that you know mm-hmm. you can overlook the skating rink, but it wasn't open. So we just walked around a little bit, found the Prime Burger, walked in. It was like they had the old school desks when you're a kid in okay. like in school. Yep. So that was very cool. But sort of the same, like, you know, we had breakfast. I really liked I liked him as a person, but it was it was weird because it was a first date and you yeah. don't know what to do. I don't think he shook my hand, but he did <laughs> he did propose in front of the prime burger and on a Sunday it was closed. We were gonna go in for breakfast. He was gonna surprise me at the ring and it was closed. And I remember being really hungry and these women are walking by and I'm like He's standing there not knowing what to do. I'm like, what's wrong with you? I'm starving. Yeah. I don't care if this place isn't open. It's very nice that you wanted to take me to the place where we first yeah, had our yeah. first date. And so these ladies are like, we're going to breakfast down there. And I'm like, I'm following these ladies. And Sean's <laughs> like, wait, wait, don't go anywhere. That's and great. there was scaffolding and it was closed. And he got on his knee and he proposed. Okay, marriage. that's so, awesome. You know, that's awesome. food does bring us together. It's uh-huh. the, these are important moments. But I'm really glad that uh, she got over the handshake. Yeah, yeah. Well, she didn't get over it. She, uh, she definitely uses uses it like a bludgeon now. Uh, she and it's still to this day. Like we'll just be sitting. She's like, "What were you thinking?" Aww. She's like, "What were you thinking?" You shook my hand. Oh, but <laughs> I, I like, get it. I get it. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, you're. If you're nervous, you don't know what to do. You're gonna say something stupid, or you're gonna do something silly. And I was like, I don't want to be the creep. Like, I don't want to go in for the hug and then have it be weird. And then she's like, Oh my god, that guy. Like, we he was like hugging me. You know. <laughs> But then a few weeks later, you're getting married. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right? <laughs> That's awesome. And you guys do everything together, too. I see you, you know, you you bring the kids everywhere. You even told me when during COVID and you were going around uh, helping other restaurants and workers, you know, you brought the whole kids in mm-hmm. tow. You bring the whole family. Mm-hmm. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're like a we're, we're like a team. We're, we're a family unit. We call ourselves the, also the, the Gruelwalds as opposed to the Griswolds. <laughs> yes. Um, because, you know, that... We're, we're also, we're a clumsy family, but, uh, the kids, the kids are in the restaurants with us, you know, all the time. The, we live five minutes from the restaurant where they go to school is a couple minutes from the restaurant as well. It is just, it's our central point mm-hmm. is the restaurants. Um, in 2000, 
18, we opened like 17 restaurants that year in eight different states, yeah. and the kids came with us everywhere. Oh. Uh, you know, and at that time it was just two kids, um, but uh, now still it's the same. You know, that same algorithm applies. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like it could be a reality TV show. Oh, it genuinely it could be. It could be. <laughs> And, and at one point, actually, we were developing that and in contract to specifically do that. But we we ended up backing out, my wife and I, because we decided that we did not want to expose the kids to yeah, that. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Do you still play the piano? I do. I do. You my, do? And, and now my daughter's starting to take piano lessons. Oh. Uh, I, w- I was supposed to be the one to give her piano lessons. And this is an issue in the house right now. And she doesn't feel let down, but my wife feels like I let her down. But... The reality is, is when I sit down at the piano, all the kids sit with me and want to just jam the keys. Mm. So there is no time for me to sit down in peace and do that with my daughter. So my wife outsourced it. Yeah. <laughs> so music and food bring us together. Yeah. Both of those things. Yeah. yeah. I want to thank you for coming in today. You're such a really, mm-hmm. you're not only a good human, I believe, you know, your voice is important. And I think a lot of people see that and see you. And please don't stay in your lane. (laughs) Stay in the kitchen. (laughs) Well, I get the same too. Just give me the forecast, weather lady. Of course. Of course. I've seen it. Right? I've seen it. Do the weather. Yeah. Just like stay in the kitchen. Right? But do they say that about... You know, Joe baseball play. Well, maybe they do stick to sports, I suppose. Well, uh, no, no, this is my rebuttal. I'm okay. like, well, when you want to post up your, you know, your your food blog or your new <laughs> recipe, you don't see me yelling at you and saying, like, stay in your lane. You right. Know, quit, continue selling insurance, Bob. I don't want to hear your stupid food stuff. No, everybody loves it. Everyone can digress into food, but I just have to stay there and I'm not allowed to say anything about it. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the biggest issue that Americans face today? Uh, there's two issues. I mean, obviously, it's the economy and it's crime. Yeah. Are you optimistic? Are you an optimistic guy? Uh, normally, I'm an optimistic guy. I'm very much a glasses half full guy. Um, you know, I play the negative card, but that's just part of my personality. Um, internally, I'm optimistic. However, I've become less optimistic. Mm. Well, you're from New Jersey. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. <laughs> and I don't have to say anything else. Yeah. Now, you, I... I I see you as an optimistic person and I'm glad that you raise your voice and I'm glad that others can see that and keep doing it. You know, maybe don't be as angry after you get off of Twitter, (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. but but I get it. Uh, And continued success. Thank you. And to be continued. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew, for stopping by and spending some time with us today on the Janice Dean podcast. And can I tell you, after we talked BLTs, Chef Gruel decided to post a perfect and I mean spectacular BLT on social media, including a boatload of bacon. It might be the greatest BLT I've ever seen. There is truly nothing like a fresh bacon filled BLT. And maybe the next time we'll bring Chef Gruel on to talk about food and his favorite recipes. But we'll have to bring the cameras because hearing us discuss our favorite dishes doesn't do them justice without seeing every tasty morsel. And we'll call it cooking up a storm. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. 
Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.